The Guardian. Hello, this is Media Talk. Coming up this week, AOL huffs and puffs, but will its $300 million takeover of the Huffington Post blow Ariana's house down? Also in the podcast, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray on Talk Sport. Welcome back to the Premier League! Disgraced Sky Sports sexists Richard Keyes and Andy Gray find themselves a new home, surprise, surprise, on Talk Sport. Plus, Radio 4 told to target new, younger listeners, and it would help if they didn't live in the southeast. And... Dear 62... 11.09 a.m. Today is Nominations Day. Big Brother is on its way to Channel 5, about 10 years too late. I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, joining me in the pod this week is The Guardian's Head of Media and Technology, uh, Dan Sapper, and Maggie Brown, a Media Guardian columnist. How are you, Dan? Quite holding on, I think. Just yeah. had a bit of excitement downstairs. Anyway, oh, never all right, mind. Never mind. Uh, uh, how are you, Maggie? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Um, uh, before we start with our with our usual snarkiness and nonsense, um, give us the latest, Dan, on the uh, phone hacking story, because there have been some developments uh, th- this week, and we, I thought we should just get them out of the way. Yeah, yeah pretty material ones, actually, which is after you know, the Met Police having re- repeatedly investigated uh, phone hacking, and in particular the evidence it received from Glenmore Care, and repeatedly sort of having found nothing much of interest, and not many people were targeted and really it was all a bit of a storm in a teacup. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. The, the whole inquiry was handed over to uh, a new part of the Met under a new top officer, Sue Akers in this case, and within maybe a couple of weeks, <laughs> Sue has found that actually well, quite a lot of people may well have been uh, had their phones hacked into and indeed some people that the Met had previously said weren't uh, actually victims of hacking and well, may well have been. Uh, helping things along has been the little bit of evidence they've received from the News of the World, which is the sort of Ian Edmondson's emails. He's the, well, it's uh, allowed them to say that they've got new evidence and uh, they've been able to join, join, make links that they hadn't been able to make before. I, I mean, what brilliant people! The trouble is, they should have. The truth is, they should have asked for not necessarily Ian Edmondson's emails, but certainly emails from the sort of the News of the World generally um, at the time of the original investigation. So it's taken a, a new investigative team a couple of weeks to find. Find out actually the old investigation was a load of baloney. Yeah, it does look, Maggie, as if uh, they, they are, oh, they're onto something now, aren't they? Well, they certainly are. We just don't know the scale of it, and we don't know how far it extends into other newspapers either. And what with the Press Complaints Commission pretty much uh, disgraced as well, uh, we're in a bit of a crisis for journalism. To okay, be well, we've talked a lot about all of this before, so I think we'll just leave that as the, as the update there and uh, uh, move on to our top story, which is to say that several eyebrows were raised at the, uh, at the news that Ariana Huffington had decided to sell the Huffington Post. Uh, which is the pioneering liberal news website that she founded in 2005 uh, and one of the true success stories, I think, yeah, it's fair to say, of the last dot-com decade. Uh, but it was not the fact that Ariana was selling up in itself that was surprising, but it was who she was selling to because writing a cheque for $350 million was Tim Armstrong, the new CEO of AOL, the company which you may recall was uh, one half of the most catastrophic corporate merger of all time when it joined forces with the Time Warner back in 2000. Uh, Dan Saber, you have called this deal the future of news which makes you a dissenting voice in the media commentary app because everyone else in the whole wide world thinks it's a disaster isn't that so predictable what everyone else thinks uh yeah i'm i see a lot to be positive and and and, and you know interested in when it comes to this deal why is that well 
uh, first things first let's look at let's look at AOL uh, you know it's easy to, it's way too easy to be snarky about AOL you you've brought up the Time Warner deal it was 11 years ago <laughs> it was different management and actually the real mistake was made by Jerry Levine at Time you know at Time Warner not not the mistake by Steve Case at AOL uh, uh, you know yes people have brought up brought up Bebo too again different management you know the, 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 the sins of the past may be considerable but they're in the past and things have moved on we have a new boss in Tim Armstrong he's come out of Google with a great reputation what's he trying to do what he's trying to do is really interesting you know he has a problem aol is still in serious decline i think revenues are down 26 percent last year so he, he needs to move on he's got 800 million dollars in cash he has to make you know he has to make some bets what's he trying to do he's trying to invest in content and in journalism and i think we in the journalism business should be upbeat about that okay well one person who's not very upbeat about that in the journalism business is the guardian's new media reporter jemima kish jemima you have you have very strong well, well you and dan have very strong views on this but you think it's going to be a disaster why why is that I think that it's just a real missed opportunity because Huffington Post is arguably the first big, really properly thorough and influential news site born of the web. And Ariana is a businesswoman and obviously thinks that the site has peaked and that it, uh, it, she could get the maximum money for it now and, and that's why she's sold now. But I think that's quite short-sighted. And also I think if you look at what AOL's values mean... It's kind of hard to to find any, really. I mean, Huffington Post was at least doing adverts to support doing journalism, although some of the journalism it did was was fairly kind of um, traffic-whoring. Um, but AOL just is looking for content to support its advertising business. It, it you know it has nothing to offer journalism. But is it really though? Uh, uh, some commentators have suggested that that it's a mistake to look at this as a content deal because Huffington Post has got all sorts of other connections in social media and technology and their, the the way they present stuff as well, expertise in all of that 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 AOL could use. I think it's a little ambitious to say that the Huffington Post will be able to transform AOL from the inside out. And actually, if you look at how AOL makes money, there was a hilarious story um, two weeks ago which claimed that 75% of AOL's subscribers are paying for a dial-up service that they don't need to pay for. So they're making $6 billion a year in revenues from people that don't need to pay, um, which is a very questionable practice for for a business that's just taken over a very important news website. It's, a, it's a, not a very good business model, isn't it? Because at some point, these people are going to realise they, they don't need all of this, and then it's, they're going to go down the pan. No. Well, you know, perhaps there is a better, Im- a better impression across the Atlantic of, of AOL and its, its value to the media industry, but it's hard to see how it could really shake the legacy of repeatedly bad decisions that go from taking Netscape, the browser, in 1998, which could have been the next Firefox, but they managed to to kill that off as well. Um, They've bought TechCrunch, the most influential technology blog, so we'll wait to see how long it'll take before they kill that off as well. Um, And now there's this kind of brief orgasm with the Huffington Post, um, and it won't last. Ariana, in some glorified position as head of content, is not going to last at AOL. She's an entrepreneur, and she'll she'll go nuts inside AOL. Speak to anyone that has worked there, and they will tell you the same thing. Is it possible, though, that, that, that we're just being a bit... You know, there was all this reaction to the Twitter uh, uh, deal today. We are just getting a, you know, on our high horse about what is a business deal. Ariana is a businesswoman. She's perfectly entitled to sell Huffington Post to whomsoever she wishes. 
Well, of course you can. Of course you can. Um, but isn't it just a shame that the business has to come before the principle of journalism? Um, we are ultimately hoping for people to reinvent and maybe even rescue the industry, if that's not too strong an expression. And well, Ariana Huffington's not going to rescue journalism, though, is she? <laughs> is she Jemima, do you think? No, 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 absolutely not. And I think if you look at a lot of the content on Huffington Post, she's clearly not rescuing um, very much at all. But it may have planted seeds for the next generation of news websites. And I think to do that, these websites need to be independent and have very clear editorial values and propositions, which, despite its some of its content, um, it did have. It had a very clear political stance and some very compelling content on there too. Jemima Kish there. So Dan, she, she she's very da- Dan on it, as you know. I want to pick up on what uh, you were saying before, which was that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good news for journalism. Why is it good news for journalism? I don't quite see that. Why is AOL interested in journalism? AOL needs traffic. And um, what actually several people have increasingly discovered is, new, you know, news content, good news content, you know, brings a lot of traffic. The Huffington Post has shown that. Over at ITV, Adam Crozier is doing a big review of ITV's news capability. Why is he doing that? One of the reasons is because he's seen how much news traffic is driven by the B- how much traffic is driven by BBC News onto its website. He wants yeah, to do and something ITV took, ITV. Took, took news off their website, didn't they? Yeah, Stupidly, a few years ago. He, he recognises that ITV yeah. got it wrong. So I think what we're seeing is a sort of a similar set of thinking here and you know the Huffington Post has got some numbers to show that it's going in the right direction it did 31 million dollars in revenue last year it's hoping to do 60 this we'll see about that but but this is a growing part of the internet economy okay Maggie what have you got to say about this well I'm afraid I'm following the money and if you look at it Ariana's basically taking her share in cash she's not keeping her shares in the combined operation and I think that does tell us something about the caution maybe she probably does feel that she's sold at the top of the market well this is what Jemima was saying yeah, although exactly. I have to say I hope I hope Dan is right of course we want uh, a flourishing uh, journalistically rich uh, websites of course we do We've, we're all giving many hours of our time each day to that pursuit ourselves but I just say look at where the money is going and she's keeping her cash um, what is in it for, uh, for Ariana Dan because uh, you know, she doesn't need need the money, does she? She's a multimillionaire in, in her own right, and she doesn't. She, you know, and Jemima was saying she's not going to last very long at AOL. Uh, either I, well, there's no reason we don't know that look, look, so, clearly, uh, Ariana's not going to be head, you know, a head of content at, at some kind of multi, multinational issue it's not in, in, her, in her style look, well, let's see what happens look she's, she's clearly got a lot of money and the money is always a compelling factor in these things and at some point you've got a, you know, you've got a cash in your chips uh, and she's been offered a good price but, but she's quite out, a lot know, of chips but she's been asked to be head of content at a, large, you know, a larger operation and at some point you know, that, that's an interesting canvas and we'll see what she makes of it it, it, it could be it could be quite exciting, or she could be. You know, she may well leave in three months, and okay. we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, let's not write her off just yet. Okay, we won't write her off just yet. Then, uh, uh, ju- uh, just in a line that we, we should before we wrap this bit up, we should talk about this story that's been around that Google's in talks with Twitter, and, that, and that's been an extraordinary valuation they've put on the, that company, Twitter, which doesn't, unlike Huffington Post, doesn't even make any money. About 110 million in revenue. Yeah, but Google's worth two hundred billion dollars. <laughs> Ten billion for Twitter's nothing. <laughs> Facebook, okay. They say Facebook's worth fifty billion dollars. If Facebook pays in shares for Twitter, in paper, you know, one set of overvalued paper for another, I don't think anyone's lost really. Okay, there we are. This is why you're the head of media and technology, and I'm not. Uh, we'll wrap that. We'll wrap that <laughs> one up there. Uh, thank you to Jemima too. And there's more on the uh, AOL half deal at mediaguardian.co.uk. <laughs> 
Okay, on now to our roundup of the rest of the media headlines this week. Uh, we'll start with a bit of news from the Murdoch family. Rupert is planning on a £300 million takeover of his daughter's TV production house, Shine. Um, why is he interested in, uh, in Elizabeth Murdoch's production business, Maggie? Well, because they are increasingly investing in content and they already have a stake in it. And I suppose that she also wants to sell. She may find that the uh, production market here is going to get much tougher without a big patron. Uh, the problem is that... Well, she's fallen out with Channel 5, hasn't she? She certainly <laughs> has. Well, I think almost everybody seems to fall out and then maybe reluctantly fall in again with Channel 5 at the moment. But no, the, the other point is that the company is basically classified as an independent at the moment, although Biscabi has a stake in it and has helped it with friendly contracts. So... Uh, there is a question mark about, um, for example, uh, people like Kudos, um, which are part of it, make a lot of the dramas, including Spooks and um, this, this week's out- Outcast. So there is that issue, too, of, of status. It could be that uh, Elizabeth is about to rejoin the, 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 the big Murdoch family oh, the fold. empire as well. Yes, But I was interested, I, I was uh, listening to Mike Darcy at um, a lunch last week, and who, he is? Spent, who is the chief executive, chief operating officer at BSkyB, and he spent a large part of that uh, lunch talking about the need to own and control content. It was a, a rather different tone from uh, previous, um, you know, kind of obsessions that, that Sky have, and also uh, a slight um, break too with, with their concentration on uh, sport and uh, and movies. Okay, well, we mentioned Channel Five. Another over at another bit of Richard Desmond's media empire. There's a new editor at the Daily Express. Dan, uh, tell us about him. Ah, this is the story of the donkey, isn't it? Is it? Uh, Hugh Witto is the new editor of the Express, and of course, <clears throat> he is also the man who maybe wouldn't have got his job there if he had managed to bring Blackie the donkey back <laughs> ah, for the sun in 1987. Right, yeah. And uh, the great story I'm about too young Hugh, to remember. although <laughs> there's a little bit more to this than meets the eye, we've learned, but the, the great story about Hugh is that he was Kelvin McKenzie's blue-eyed boy in the sun in the 80s, Real, reporter on the rise, I think he'd been poached on the star, actually. Anyway, in, in, in 87, and there was this huge Ferrari or tabloid Ferrari about Blackie the donkey. This is a Spanish donkey. I think it was a, it was a fiesta and gets, got beat. Yeah, the, the details fiesta. lost in the mists of t- <laughs> tabloid time. The, the, the donkey needed to be rescued. And yeah. so the son sent a man, Hugh Witter, and the star also sent a man to go and bring the donkey back. Anyway, the son bought the donkey and, and left it in a field overnight to take the prize back to Blighty, whereupon the star man, being of the canniest sort, went and bought the donkey all over again and took it back. <laughs> the star splashed, of course, with gotcha and the receipt and a picture of the donkey and the sun came home empty-handed. Yes. Now, all of which is to illustrate what? I've forgotten all, my word. All now. of which is to illustrate that almost certainly Kelvin would have promoted him nine more times and he'd be editor of the sun by now, but right. instead, well, he left and went to the star oh, and uh, uh, and he went from the star to the Express. Anyway, he's there now. He's editor. the editor of the, uh, editor of the Express. What, a, what an elevated position for him. Well, good for him. He's very close to Peter Hill, the old editor, and I think there won't be much change in terms of the Express's content, although I think... I was going to say, does it mark the end of Dynamania? Probably not. Well, it's they're, the on, they're on to Islamomania now, aren't they? There'll be something else, but, but I think it'll be interesting to see how the animal stories are treated, I think, going forward. <laughs> OK, <laughs> right, so we'll, we'll watch out for that. Uh, there's been a PCC ruling uh, this week on uh, Twitter uh, uh, saying that they're, uh, they're not private information. This is quite interesting, isn't it? Um, because uh, it's, uh, it was a ruling that if you write something on Twitter and then it all gets quoted in the, new, in the newspapers, did you have a reasonable expectation that that, that that, that material w- would have been private. And I, frankly, I think if you had a reasonable expectation that it would be private, you're barking at the, you know, the wrong bit of the internet, you aren't you? You wouldn't be tweeting in the first place, no, would you? Exactly. And, I mean, we've had these other crackdowns about, you know, uh, tweets which are basically just 
just maybe unfairly or, or just creating stories or, or, or almost slanders. So, I mean, you can understand that people are beginning to sort of wise up to the fact that they may not always be, you know, what they seem to be as well. It might be uh, promotions that are actually not actually fair and, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, they're biased against the consumer. It's just a, another example, really, of, of how everybody's going to have to adapt to the realities of really having very little pr- privacy. Meanwhile, the uh, Ministry of Justice has launched a consultation this week on uh, Twitter tweeting from court uh, more specifically actually they've, they've widened that a bit uh, live text reporting from court which is quite interesting dan and joshua rosenberg uh, wrote about this uh, uh, this week and it does look as if you know that the ministry of justice is considering this issue seriously that you might be able to go into court with a laptop and live blog or live tweet and that has really interesting implications for uh, for websites like ours it's a breakthrough we've reached the 18th century somewhere in the 21st with a bit of technology too I, look my, my my view has been for a long time that we should have cameras in court uh, that we should, frankly, the, the, open all up. Yeah, the Americans manage just fine. That we don't need the contempt rules. We do. We're just treating juries in the court system with kind of kid gloves. Really, it's hilarious. And I think technology. And look, and this is sort of breaking it down at the edges a bit, but it's beginning to highlight the absurdity of the law. Dan's entirely right. I mean, it's almost like the, the leaders, uh, the, the parliament, the, sorry, the prime ministerial debates. That it, it's taken us forty, fifty years to get to those, and they happened last year, and they were successful. And when you think about it, the efforts that have gone into debating cameras in courts, I, I mean, 30 years have gone by and nothing has happened. There's one hilarious bit of the, um, of the consultation paper which says that one of the reasons why we might, might not want to go down, down this road is because at the moment there's this blanket ban on, on phones in, in court. But, if, if they, but how would the court staff be able to, uh, to cope with something where they, some people were allowed phones and other people weren't? I can't imagine how you'd be able to make any kind of differentiation down. It's impossible to look, say. Look, look at all the problems that have opened up. And what happens if you do a twit pick? Yes. What's that, that, that twit pick? You'd be, in, you'd be up in front of the judge and down in the cells very oh, quickly. Really? Yes. Would, the, oh, would the judge know? Well, I don't know. I suppose he, he, would, he, would, he would if he was reading Twitter. If he was, if he was following you on Twitter, he would know, wouldn't he? Yeah, while he was uh, adjudicating. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Thank you very much. Um, oh, should, we, should we just mention this uh, thing about the BBC archive, uh, which you've been writing about, which is actually quite interesting. It sounds a bit boring. But well, it, was, it, no, it was a landmark in the sense that they have finally come up after five years of labouring with an approach, which is that um, there's going to be uh, public value programming, as it were, um, but there are going to be groups around Radio 4, Radio 3, and poor old BBC Four. Um, but the most extraordinary thing about it is that um, if you actually read that this so-called landmark step into the future, uh, the BBC's trust is very keen to say, but it won't make very much difference. This is a modest proposal. <laughs> we expect traffic uh, to be sort of a, 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 a more, less than a 0.1%. Uh, it's just a very, very strange approach to the future. Two programmes are moving Big Brother is moving to Channel 5 and Question Time is moving to Glasgow. Who would like to take which, <laughs> which one first? Is, oh, it, is it important? And we'll come on to Question Time in, yeah. uh, um, in a second. Big Brother uh, going to Channel, Channel 5. Is, is, do you think that that is... I mean, it just feels as if it's a bit... You know, it's missed, they've missed the boat. And well, it's desperation on both fronts. I mean, you know, the producers, Endemol, desperately uh, want traffic because they have this very large amount of debt. And uh, Channel 5, obviously... Th- think that with the aid of uh, the Express, or rather the Express's proprietor, hmm. um, they can breathe new life and maybe new tackiness into it. I wish them both well. <laughs> yes. uh, the, the more significant thing is Question Time. Um, Very significant. Which um, Dimbleby's been getting, getting aerated it's about. It's not just Dimbleby. The, um, the editor's left. 
Yes, the cool. editors left, and the question really is whether a programme which, whether you like it or not, is extremely successful, uh, played a major part last year in undermining the BMP and Nick Griffin's uh, appeal to the electorate, uh, is, is, is the kind of programme whose makers ought to be sent off to Glasgow, uh, where Scotland itself has its own uh, diverging system of government. Mm. And the upshot is that a lot of people are beginning to say that this is a move out of London, which is too far. It's a move too far. A Rubicon has been crossed. Rubicon has been crossed. And I think, I happen to think that they are right. I think it's a a Uh, wall, Hadrian's wall. Okay, it isn't just Dimbleby. It's the fact that uh, the the, the time and expense of going backwards and forwards from Glasgow, admittedly the the productions move around the country. Which is quite expensive in itself, surely. And of course they're losing a very good editor in the process and advertising for a new one on a 12-month contract. I think it's absolutely dotty. And I predict, I predict that the new chairman of the Trust uh, is going to be lobbied very hard on this point. I spoke to David Liderman, a member of the Trust, this morning, and uh, he just washed his hands and said, the Trust support the out-of-London policy. We don't have a view on this. It's up, to, it's up to the management to make up their minds. But I'm absolutely certain that a lot of grandees are going to be saying to Fitzchris Patton, what on earth is going on here? And they're right. Okay. Why, why not? Why not move it? Question time is peripatetic. It's, it, David Dimbleby need, need never go to Glasgow, uh, so I, I don't see what the great problem is. And frankly, if you're telling me and Booker's, they don't. If you ring up a politician and say, "Would you like to go on Question Time?" the answer is yes. And when? I mean, I, I don't think yes. if it, the it, calls come from Glasgow yes. or from London, yes. I'm not sure it makes much difference. Well, I think it does because the people who are actually, you know, talent spotting are actually watching MPs, and they're they're, they're in in the in the hurly burly of what you might call Westminster, not just in the chamber. They're assessing people. All I'm saying is that. You have to have good reasons for changing things, and you should be able to show either they're going to be more cost-effective or they're going to be better programmes because you're moving people and you're disrupting the teams. And neither of those cases are proven, and in fact the BBC isn't even claiming that 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 is the case. Furthermore, when this was looked at in 2004... Uh, by uh, Mark Damaser, the very successful uh, controller of Radio 4, one of the last things he did when he was the deputy head of News and Current Affairs at the BBC, was to look at this issue. And I spoke to him of, yesterday. He, of, he, uh, of whether of it moving, should be Yes, right. and uh, he, he decided just very coolly, just looking at all the facts, that it, there was no case for moving it. And you, you spoke to him yesterday. And I what's did, his view yes. now? Oh, well, he, 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 I think everybody agrees it's, it's a move too far. Yeah, OK. Uh, we'll leave that there. Thank you very much, uh, both of you. Uh, you can read more on all of those stories at mediaguardian.co.uk. Uh, we'll finish this week by focusing on the radio. Uh, the BBC Trust uh, has told the powers that be at Radio 4 that it needs to do more to attract younger listeners from the north. Uh, meanwhile, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray have found themselves back in work uh, quite quickly after they've been booted out. Uh, they've been signed up to present uh, a new three-hour mid-morning show daily on Talk Sport starting on Monday, uh, just in time for Valentine's Day for all those ladies who won't be listening. Um, let's start with uh, that before getting on to uh, ra- Radio 4. One of our, one of our commenters on the, on the on Media Guide and summed it up very nicely from HD to AM in one fell swoop. Uh, still, I suppose, Dan, it was fairly obvious that when Richard Keyes did that interview on uh, on TalkSport, that that was the, the game plan, wasn't it? Look, I think 
you know, one might be a bit dispirited by all this, but it, but it's fairly predictable. I think Talksport was the obvious sort of place for these guys to go and gets people talking about Talksport. Uh, yeah, and if you take the view, and I'm not saying everybody does, but if you take the view that all these remarks were off camera and not for broadcast and tasteless they may have been, but you know, people have said you know people have said worse and got away with it many times. You know, they probably, I suppose, deserve a second chance. Do you think I'm not very enthusiastic about you know, it. You know, but, I can tell you, but, tell you you're, but I think you're, you're, you're putting the line. But, but you know, let's see. You know, look, let's see how they do. I, mean, I think Talksport's talking was talking about six figure salaries for both of them. So I think that's a pretty bold statement uh, on behalf of the radio station. Yeah. Well, well, the, the truth is, the- well, what I think is actually happening is that most people who watch Sky Sports, the real diehard lovers of Premier League football, they like these presenters. We may we may uh, regret some of well, the things do, they said. We, we don't watch. Talk, uh, if you if you listen to, to the man on the Clapham omnibus, well, no, okay, listen to the man on the Clapham omnibus. The people you yes. know on on the phone-ins, uh, you will it's find that a lot of that they these are very closely identified with with the football uh, success sure. of Sky, and 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 for most average blokes, I suspect they can't really see what the fuss is all about. Having said that, in this podcast a couple of weeks ago, don't you remember we listened to Richard Keyes' rambling yes. broadcast and decided it was a bit of a suicide note? So there we are, mea culpa. Talksport has Stan Collymore and I mean, you know, so yeah. it's clearly a place to be rehabilitated, isn't yes, it? Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, good well, point. Yeah, it is a very good point, actually. Um, let's move on to things that we know more about. It's Radio 4. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the view from the Dulwich omnibus, I think we'll have uh, uh, for this one, Maggie. Um, well, I'll tell you exactly what I think. You've interrupted all my questions. I've been barely able to get a word in today, oh, but it's fine. Just, no, 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 you just carry on. Just, well, what do you think about this report that the BBC Trust has put out? Well, I think that the divide, the North-South divide, has been there for so long that this could, report could have said the same thing 10 years ago. Um, I am a passionate listener and admirer of Radio 4, and uh, if, if more people can be attracted by a slight change in tone, that's fine by me. The serious, there are two serious issues, though. One of the other facts they're making is that there's this thing called the replenisher factor, yes. new people coming in. And the, the, the trust... This is the next generation yes, of listeners. The yeah. trust are really genuinely worried about that. And I think that that is a really um, serious point. This was invented, actually, by Nick Damaser, this phrase, because clearly you have got to go on bringing in new people. Hmm. So, do you mean Mark Damaser? Sorry, Mark Damaser, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, uh, you do have to keep bringing in new people. Um, one of the other factors, though, in this is that what is this, this report actually ignores the real problem for Radio 4, which is that it is our only produced speech radio station and if you listen as I do carefully and you watch how programs are made it's pretty clear that they are no longer staffing certain programs so that they can make well-researched either packages or short-form you know documentaries and for example from our own correspondent has really gone downhill what you're finding is that they send a BBC uh, journalist to a far-flung bit of the globe, and they will be making stories and packages for a range of people. And then they kind of repeat the same thing, or sometimes they do this, on um, from our own correspondence. So instead of it being a serendipitous programme that tells you things you don't know from the general news, it's telling you the same all over again. And I think that this is a real issue, because... It, what, what we're facing now is, is, is quite serious cuts to BBC budgets. And Radio 4 um, is one of... The, at, at some point, it can't be any more salami slicing. It has to be 
seen as a key core public service broadcasting offering. Dan, there could be an opportunity, though, couldn't it, for uh, for producers and indies to, to, to jump in with a whole new load of ideas. And it's good to have lo- lots of new, di- new, new ideas. And sometimes you need something like this to spark that process. You, you almost want more of it, actually. Mark, Mark Thompson told me an interesting figure. I think they get 20,000 submissions a year for Radio 4. So they're not able to put anything like, you know, the, the amount of ideas that's coming in, they're not able to sort of... Uh, green light, anything like those number of ideas, and and you almost feel that you know they could do with a second, you know, a second station or some sort of more speech, maybe aimed at a slightly different, slightly younger audience on uh, on six or, or or wherever to kind of meet the need because. I think the challenge for a station like Radio 4 is it's always going to be after younger listeners to replenish. At the same time, a lot of people find Radio 4 at a certain phase of their lives. Well, it's they? the Abel and Cole stage. Yeah. It's when you start ordering in vegetables in boxes. Exactly. I bake my own bread, so I'm there. Yeah. But, but the thing is that... Uh, so that kind of happens, but I also feel like you could really do some violence to the station if you did try to sort of make a dramatic move and say we've got to get sort of listeners in their sort of 20s and 30s and it might be better that we have more speech but in a different place hmm. where where an audience can come into speech radio. They've been told to end, end this love affair with America which was quite interesting. I, I mean I quite like their, their love affair with America. So yes I and the re- new Matt Fry um, yeah. thing on, on Sunday nights is good. Well actually what I would say is let's have America and let's have proper European coverage too. Let's have better coverage all round of, of key big um, stories. So uh, there's plenty for Radio 4 to go at. And look, it has 10.3 million uh, listeners. It's the third largest after Radio 1 and Radio 2. It's doing an awful lot right. What I didn't like about the uh, reaction to the report uh, was this sense that it will be defended. You know, it, it's it's seen any any criticism is seen as an assault on this sort of bastion of middle class white home counties uh, listening, and that does make me rather flinch because clearly there is no station that cannot be improved, as Stan is saying, and there are areas that certainly, I mean, I've enumerated some of them, but they're not actually covered by the trust report. In fact, I was again, I was talking to Lidderman about this. David Lidderman made. Uh, spearheaded this report and this is the problem they can talk about the outputs what radio 4 is doing but in the actual use of its budget and the quality of of, of some of these programs and what if the if the if the quality is going to deteriorate in future because of cuts and 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 other things that have pressures on the bbc that is something that they can really only judge after the fact and so that does what that that whole unspoken area about radio 4 uh, worries me, and so does any kind of attempt to move into Radio Five territory, which I think is what Dan was sort of mm, saying yeah. to some extent, because mm. it shouldn't be just continuous speech and phone-ins. It, it is a different mixed genre network with, as I say, produced speech, which is which is a very endangered thing. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, I think we'll leave, we'll leave that there uh, as time is up. Uh, but we've, before we go, um, I, I, I feel Maggie that you've probably given us all your anecdotes for this week. You've told us who you've been. <laughs> speaking to and you've been having lunch with is uh, have you kept anything back well i've been sort of poking around uh, on the bbc chairmanship and as i think i might have predicted because one might have suspected this that uh the the the, the tory party is is probably the least um aligned and uh, doesn't much some sections of it don't seem to like the uh, prospect of having a, a good old Tory wet. This is Chris Patton who's being, yeah. being, being lined yes, up. But, 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 but On two happy. grounds. One side who think the BBC is too big and it needs proper governance and he won't be that. Uh, and then there's this other side, the kind of what you might call, you know, the Eurosceptic side, who, because these rifts go so deep in the Conservative Party, are, you know, opposed to anybody who's pro-European.
I saw you having lunch uh, today, Dan, with with a right old gossip. So uh, I'm sure I'm not, I'm not going to reveal who it was, but oh, uh, come but, on. but uh, but I'm, he had I'm, time for lunch. He did have time for lunch. Uh, but uh, I was wondering what you picked up this week. Uh, what have I picked up this week? Well, I caught up. I caught up with Helen Bowden about which I'm not supposed to say a lot, uh, and had an interesting conversation with her. And I think that's going to be tough for them because they've got to take twenty percent out of all their. Mm. All, all, you know, or across their news budget. Now, that's a process they're going through rather slowly. We won't get any answers until autumn. But, uh, you know, well, the sort of thing she was worrying about in broad terms was, I've got to make savings, I've got no choice. And at what point? I know that I can get away with repeating cleverly some content. So I can have a package on Newsnight and a package on Today, which are sort of by the same journalist mm. and fairly similar. But at what point does it become to the audience, actually, I've heard all that before, what's going on? Yeah. And so she's sort of kind of anxious about that and whether they can get the balance right. There's no doubt the savings can be made mm. in some areas, but well, they're going to have to be. It's not mm. optional. Okay, but, uh, quite interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's exactly the sort of thing that you're worried about. Point I was making yeah. about the Mario correspondent, yeah. but okay. in, a, in a global sense. Uh, th- mm-hmm. uh, thank you very much, Maggie. Well, I will. Uh, I will let you get get back to your uh, probing and prodding that you that you've been doing. Um, thank you. Uh, you can find links to everything we've been gassing on about on the blog at guardian.co.uk. Media Talk. Uh, we'll be back with more next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.